Hello and welcome to another episode of Central Asia Chronicled, from the Cold War to the Contemporary. You're with Christopher Hins, and today we're tackling the tricky topic of autocracy and nation-building in the Central Asian region today. In an earlier episode, we explored the ways that the Soviet Union and Russian culture more broadly influenced culture and lifestyle in Central Asia. Arguably, the nature and structure of Soviet bureaucracy has equally shaped the way Central Asian states are governed. During their time in the Soviet Union, five of Central Asia's republics was classified as SSRs, or Soviet Socialist Republics, semi-autonomous regions of the Soviet Union, while Mongolia and Afghanistan were both independent communist nations that were nonetheless reliant on Moscow for political direction. As mentioned in a previous episode, the SSRs were given strong affirmative action programs from Moscow to ensure that Russians were not seen as unduly giving preference to their own people, particularly with regards to employment. The Soviet Socialist Republics were led by the first secretary of each of their respective republics, and these leaders were limited in their decision-making from a political perspective, but largely had free reign in regards to economic policy. As we will see, the first secretary was often reluctant to relinquish control of the country once independence from the Soviet Union was granted. On the other side of the Soviet Union, there was First Secretary Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus, who is today still in charge of the now independent country and has proudly declared himself Europe's last dictator. He has found equally power-hungry copycat counterparts in Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan, who were ruled by their own First Secretaries through to independence and it was only in death that Uzbekistan's Islam Karimov and Turkmenistan's Turkmen Bashi were finally made to give up the reins of power, as we saw in a previous episode about Turkmenistan. The problem for them is that Turkmen Bashi gave way to the equally dictatorial Gurbanguly Berdy Makhamadov. It's a slightly different story in Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan because Kyrgyzstan certainly has all the hallmarks of the usual personality cult and one-man rule that we see in the region. But their current president, Imamali Ramon, actually rose to power as last man standing in a post-Soviet civil war, and that was in 1992. Whereas in Kyrgyzstan, violent upheaval from the local population has seen the presidency change hands six times including Rosa Otunbayeva, who served her short term as actually an interim president. The lack of complete political control over their own affairs perhaps played a role in these presidents greedily grasping for power once independence was granted, whilst the level of economic power has remained unchanged and has arguably led to a lot of the economic-style nepotism we still see in the region today. 
Another issue these nations had to grasp head-on upon reaching independence was the idea of nation-building. Prior to the formation of the Soviet Union and their creation as SSRs, these former Silk Road citadels were merely cities that shared an Islamic and nomadic heritage and were not really nations as such. So it was the Soviet government who was the first to draw defined boundaries around these nations-to-be. The SSR leadership and their Russian overseers were set to the task of building national identity and history where none had previously existed. In the case of Uzbekistan, Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, ancient warriors from the Silk Road Age were singled out as founding fathers of their nations, with the most well-known of these being Uzbekistan's legendary Timur Lane, a descendant of Genghis Khan. In Turkmenistan, Turkmen Bashi signalled himself as the living founder of his people, while Kazakhstan provides the exception to the rule in this case. The founding legend of the warrior Alash was also supplemented by another legend in which a white goose turned into a princess, who then gave birth to the first Kazakh. Once they gained independence at the fall of the Soviet Union, many of these Central Asian nations reformed their education system from the Soviet-based Russian-speaking system and writing script. In Tajikistan, surnames with the typically Russian suffix of were banned, with even the president changing his name from Ramanov to Vratman. In addition to the other reasons, such as pre-existing autocratic structures, the challenge of asserting a Russian and Soviet-free national identity whilst keeping the economically important Russian minority safe within their borders is perhaps another moral justification that these leaders have posited for holding on to power so tightly. Since independence, they have been required to build on the nation-building legends, first demonstrated by the Soviets, unite disparate cultures and tribes, and retain their Russian minorities. Indeed, this is evident in the fact that three of the five former SSRs still list Russian as an official national language, whilst Russian is also widely spoken in Mongolia. Along with the many positives that came with being a part of the USSR, Central Asia during the Soviet Union was forced to make their own national identities, whilst also being settled with a top-down control structure that laid the groundwork for many of the autocratic traits seen among the leadership today. Thank you for listening to the fascinating and at times fraught political history of Central Asia and learning with me today as we discovered the way the Soviet Union has shaped the government structure of the region today. Thank you for joining me and take care.